Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Kimberly Wolf talking about her new book, Talk With Her, A Dad's Essential Guide to Raising Healthy, Confident, and Capable Daughters. Kimberly is an educator, speaker, and educational consultant. She studied gender studies at Brown University and got her master's in human development and psychology from Harvard Graduate School of Education. In addition to being an expert in her field, she's also a daughter with a deep personal belief in the transformative power of strong father-daughter relationships. We're gonna be speaking with Kimberly today about all kinds of topics that come up between fathers and daughters, especially during the teenage years, and how fathers can handle these issues in a more productive way. We're going to talk about control and the urge that we have as fathers to assert our authority and keep our daughters under control. We're also going to talk about spirituality, what to do when kids are questioning our spiritual beliefs that we've raised them with. We're going to look at clothing choices. What do we do when our daughter is wearing something that makes us feel uncomfortable? How do we deal with that? How do we respond to that? What do we say? We're going to cover gender identity and sexuality, looking at how to have really high level conversations with teenagers about LGBTQ plus issues. There are so many words that people are using to talk about these things that a lot of times we aren't up on as parents. And the language that's being used in the LGBTQ plus community is constantly evolving. If we wanna have good conversations about this stuff, we need to be using the right words. How do we do that? And we're gonna talk about friendships and how to help our daughters when they're having issues with their friends. All that and more is coming up on the show today. Really, really excited to dive into all that. Kimberly, thank you so much for being here. You have this new book, Talk With Her, A Dad's Essential Guide to Raising Healthy, Confident, and Capable Daughters. You pretty much cover every possible topic that could possibly come up between a dad and a daughter. And you would have like a, a questions in the end about questions that dads often ask you about kind of themselves and their own issues that they might be wondering about. And so, I mean, it's comprehensive. <laughs> you said you've spent basically decades preparing to write this book. What do you mean by that? And how do you know it was finally time to write it? And how did it come about? When I say that it took me decades to prepare to write this book, I'm really talking about my early inspiration for the book, which came consciously when I was in high school. I went to high school in Los Angeles and I went to an all girls school. <clears throat> I think I've always been really interested in women's health and well being and girls' health and well being. That just came to me naturally, a calling, if you will, something that I've always been passionate about understanding. And as a high school student, the issues and the challenges faced by adolescent girls were on full display. 
for me, you know, I had my own struggles, things I was thinking about, stuff related to achievement and where I was going to go to college and also, um, you know, mental health, managing stress at a time I was, you know, college bound. I was, things were picking up speed with regard to college admissions becoming more and more competitive. The impact of the media was increasing. That was about 20 years ago. So the, the influence of the internet was just beginning and digital media texting this ever connectedness, if you will, that we experience now. So those were some of the things I was thinking about. And for my friends too, we were all kind of feeling our way through and stumbling through as adolescent girls have since the beginning of time. And by the time that I left high school, I knew that I wanted to create better resources for girls. I already knew that when I was 18 and I went to college and I majored in gender studies. And I've always studied at the intersection of education, entertainment, and well-being girls' well-being specifically. And I've taught boys as well. I, I'm sex educator by trade, and that's kind of evolved into love education. And I've taught all genders of students my whole career, but having been a girl myself, I have particular insight into that experience. And so I went to college. I studied sexual health content in 17 Magazine for my thesis. I worked in entertainment for a long time. I went and got my master's where at Harvard, where I studied human development and psychology with a focus on the influence of media on adolescent health and wellness. I'd always been, again, focused on girls. And it was later in my career when I was meeting with male media executives who happen to have teenage daughters. And we were talking about the resources I could create for their platforms. But what ended up happening is that they started asking me for personal advice. And I realized, which I write about in the book, that for a very long time, I had taken the influence of fathers for granted, um, including that of my own father. And that was a real turning point for me in my career because I'd been really focused on students and I'd always been an educator for parents. I've always talked at schools and conferences and organizations and companies educating parents about their teens. But when it came to the specifics of father-daughter dynamics, that became a passion and an interest for me later, just because I hadn't really been thinking about it. I'd just been thinking about the teenagers and this is what they're going through. And so I got really into the research around father-daughter relationships and there is a lot. It's not super publicized. It is not by any means yeah. the amount of research that exists on mother-child relationships. Yeah, right. Even in recent years, I think the figure was that the, the research on fathers and fatherhood is about one sixth of the research that's been done on mothers. So that was something to address. Then I asked my, and I talk about this in the book and I asked my dad, I said, dad, was it, was it harder for you to raise my sister and me than it was our brother? Was it really that much different and that much harder? And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Without a doubt. Yes, yes, yes. And so I started looking at the research and it's just fascinating. And so when it comes to, again, you know, people tell me how long did it take you to write this book? You know, the inspiration really sprung a couple of decades ago. And then it's been an evolution for me and my understanding of girlhood and development and coming to understand later in my career, the real depth of impact that fathers can have on their daughters. And in the book, I talk a lot about my own experience because it turns out that in a lot of ways, my dad was really by the research that we have now, did a lot of things that were sort of next level back then. He's also a really dynamic guy. It's really fun to tell stories about him. So that's how the book kind of came to be. 
told me that one of the things you want to do with the book is inspire, make people feel like it's okay. You got this, um, which I love, but you do actually say, you point out at one point in the book that there, there are some things you can do to mess up your daughter. Mm -hmm. And one of those is being controlling. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you talk about, yes, being controlling and authoritarian and micromanaging. What does that look like? And um, why is that so damaging? So what does it look like? It looks like micromanaging her schoolwork. It looks like making comments and criticizing her, even if you think they're being funny. It looks like you know, making negative, demeaning, and discouraging remarks, um, as I write in the book, and also just exhibiting controlling behaviors in other places. You know, I've seen this with fathers who are really intense about homework. You will sit with me and you will finish this and, you know, you will wear this or, you know, you can't wear that or I'm, you know, you can't date, you know, and there's going to be a real rebellion there. The controlling behavior is really... I think it goes without saying that it makes people feel suffocated. It makes people feel trapped. It makes girls yeah. feel like they can't be themselves. It kind of lends towards this people pleasing. Um, it gives rise to this expectation that all men will treat her that way and will yeah. try to dictate what she can and can't do. So interesting that you picked that up because that is one of, you know, what you read the book and that's one of the places where I say, look, it is going to be okay. And there's a lot that you're doing right. And I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do, except if you have, <laughs> if you have been exhibiting these behaviors, you're going to be in trouble. And you think a lot of it comes from a well-meaning place and yeah. having a teenage daughter can make people feel really out of control, especially in this day and age. A major theme is that it seems like parents are powerless over the cultural forces that be yeah. and the peer influences that take a much more center stage as girls grow up. And so there can be a reaction where it's like, no, I'm still in charge here. And right. Yeah. Cling tighter and you feel powerless. You try to reassert your authority. Right. And um, I think it, in some ways it's a natural human tendency. Uh, yeah. It can be so toxic. Absolutely. And girls, they see themselves as adults um, from a young age. I mean, I think middle school time, you know, we see them as kids. They know, you know, they feel much more grown up. There are a lot of kids that they are older than at their schools and their siblings. Uh -huh. And, and they really feel very adult. Again, adults don't like being controlled by other people. Now, this isn't to say that you can't be a parent, that you can't set boundaries, that you can't uh -huh. make your values known, but hold too much of a grip you shut down communication. What you really want is ongoing communication and ongoing open conversation about all topics, no matter how difficult or complicated. You have an interesting discussion in the book about spirituality. Mm -hmm. I think that is, can become really difficult for a lot of families in the teenage years when kids start to question the spiritual beliefs that you raise them with. Mm -hmm. And that is not easy to navigate. And I think that's also um, another place where it's easy to fall into the more controlling authoritarian, no, this is what we believe in this household. Um, you will come to church and this is what's gonna happen. I wonder what alternatives there are or how that we could think about this situation in like a more collaborative way or have more constructive conversations with 
teenagers who are questioning the beliefs that we have tried to instill in them. First and foremost, it's always important for parents to remember that it is completely natural and normal for kids to challenge beliefs, especially in adolescence, to go out on their own, to kind of bounce ideas and identities. Faith is obviously big and core to identity and to family identity and to family values. But in the same way that kids are questioning their personal style or who their peer group is or what kind of person they are, they're questioning faith. It's another aspect of their identity. There's a lot of obviously emotion and I think emotion is really, I was going to add another (laughs) word. No, I think really it's emotion. I think it's deeply, it's a deeply feeling topic uh, faith and religion. And I think that it is natural again for kids to move away from parental beliefs in adolescence often. That is not to say that they're not going to return to those beliefs later on. And that's one of the most important and interesting pieces of research that I always appreciate and find a lot of solace in for parents is that you just want to hold the line. You just want to keep talking about how important it is to you You want to talk about how faith works in your life. You want to set an example. There was recently a quote by Mark Wahlberg. He was talking about faith and he was saying, look, you know, my girls are going to see me practicing and they're going to see me at church. And maybe one day they'll say, and I'm not getting the quote exactly right. And I won't take our time now to look it up, but maybe they'll say, look, it works for my dad. Maybe it could work for me too. And so it's about, not necessarily, you know, you're not always going to get places with teenage girls. If you're like, this is what I believe in. You're going to believe this too. And I think that that is pretty obvious though. At the time you really feel like, well, this is what I believe in. You're going to believe this too, but they're going to totally push back on that. And so what you want to do is focus on the big picture, draw them in, in the ways that you can expect that they are going to explore faith in their own ways, that they may move away from your faith, that they may move away from it permanently. It is very possible and very common for kids to move away from faith in the adolescent years and then return to their parents' value set later on in in late adolescence. And so you just want to keep going and talking to them about what's important to you, setting an example. And when it comes to faith in their lives and the impact that I can have, I always find that it's really effective to, and kids listen, you know, they listen when I'm in schools teaching the facts, I believe this, and you should believe this, that doesn't always get to them. However, having a source of faith in your life, if it's religion or spirituality, however, people couch it in their homes can help you feel centered. It gives you a community to come back to. It can help you feel connected. It connects you to other people. It connects you to the history of this family. What are the facts around faith? that you can help your teenager understand. I think those are some places to focus. And then also just if they're not necessarily buying into the religion necessarily at a given moment of time, how can you build in other spiritual practices and what do those look like? Perhaps a non-religious prayer, perhaps a walk in nature. What does it mean for her? So I think, again, it really is about remembering that they're not necessarily going to believe or buy into, or even even if they do, they might not even just want to give you the satisfaction of letting you know at that time, because that's part of individuation as well. But thinking about where can you meet them with faith and you know where can you meet them when it comes to spirituality? Where are they at? And how can you kind of help foster it and keep the conversation going while also 
not worrying too much that you're going to totally lose them because whether it's faith or whether it's their activities or anything that you've taught them, you're going to have moments more than likely in their adolescent years when you feel like you're kind of losing them. That's very natural, no matter the topic, just hold the line and just keep talking about what's important to you and setting an example and seeing if you can work in little spiritual practices with them. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's so cool. I, a friend of mine was just telling me about how she uh, had grown up in a Christian family and she then started questioning that when she was in adolescence. And she started, instead of like praying at meals, she started just like giving gratitude before eating and like having talking about things that she was grateful for. And yeah, it was a way for her to like also just like share this more with her family and still have sort of this so much sort of spiritual time that she still does. So I think there's like, there's opportunities for things like that, that you can sort of adapt and modify and think like, what's the intent behind this? And if you're not so forceful um, with sometimes when we feel like we're being forced to do things, then um, we sort of like really rebel against them. Whereas um, when we feel like we can sort of like modify ourselves and take ownership of it, then it might be something that we internalize and actually like carry you forward um, later in life. Right. And it's a lighter example, but it's sort of like when you invite somebody to a party and you're like, you're coming to this party, you're going to party with me. It's my holiday. You're going to party with me. We're partying together. Have fun. Have fun. We're going to have fun. It's going to be great. I don't care what else you're doing. I don't care what other plans you have. I don't care what your thoughts are on this. You're going to come to my party. You know, that doesn't work as well as like, Hey, we're having a party. You want to come by? We'd love to have you. It's important to just think about it's hard in the moment, you know, being parents, it's but, or, you know, and this book, again, it's not just for fathers, it's for father's figures. It's, I've heard it's going to be, you know, people have found that it's helpful as coaches. Mm. We think about, you know, how are we making these kids feel? And in the moment, we're not always going to be able to think about how we're making everybody else feel all the time because we're dealing with our own emotions. But what is the, what is the vibe that we're creating? What is the feeling of these conversations? How are they going? And trying to keep them more collaborative more often. We talk in the book about, how it's really important to talk to your daughter like an adult. Talk to her like you would talk to your friend. What tone would you take? What words would you use? Obviously you wanna be age appropriate with details on certain topics so that she doesn't get scared or overwhelmed or something like that. But they see themselves again, they see themselves as adults. And so they revel in being talked to and leveled with in that way. And even from a young age, from sixth, seventh grade forward, I really see it. And that's where I start working with young people is really in, late, in middle school forward. And just talk to them, you know, how would you talk to a friend? And I think that's also a really useful tool for parents to be thinking of when their own emotions get heightened, because the relationship that people have with their kids is pretty heated and emotional. And the stakes seem really high, especially when it comes to having big conversations around things that matter to parents most. And so if you can dial it back, it can be an interesting tool to say, how would I talk to a, a fellow adult about this? How would I, you know, I wouldn't raise the temperature of this conversation or what would I do to lower it? And that can be a really useful tool. If your kid like decides that they aren't into some of the things that are important to you, then um, it feels like it was really bad. It's like mm -hmm. uh, it's like someone breaking up with you, and I mean, really, they're just they're just deciding that this relationship isn't right for them right now. But it feels like so such an attack on you personally, and I think so much of parenting is like that too. It's like what what mm -hmm. you don't want you don't want to do ice skating anymore, but like that's but that's like my thing and whatever, you know? And um, so, yeah, it's hard to sort of like separate 
yourself from that a little bit and let them make those choices without it feeling so personal to you. Yeah, and feeling, you know, it's that feeling of rejection, I think that is really yeah. at the baseline of a lot of the hurt. Yeah. But they're not necessarily in that space where their girls are not saying like, I'm going to reject you and everything you're saying or adolescents in general, but that's how everybody feels. And, and I think that's part of parenting anyway, as kids go through ebbs and flows and there are things that, you know, we want and hope that they'll do and they won't, um, or they don't want to right now. And it's about learning to kind of ride that wave and, and get comfortable with a little bit of a lack of control. You know, that's a difficult one sometimes. things you mentioned when I was asking about control is you're not going to wear that. I thought that was another thing I marked in your book to talk about because I think it's such a father-daughter interaction. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, um, and I noticed actually you quote Lisa Damore in here who we've had on the show also. Mm -hmm. She has some great ideas about this. What do you think or how can fathers approach this dynamic in, in a more productive way when we see, you know, our daughter wearing something that just feels too sexual or revealing or not in line with our values. Absolutely. I think that we should really start from a place of don't say anything. The rule is don't say anything about <laughs> what your daughter is wearing. It's not going to go well for you. <laughs> I think we don't want to have too many hard and fast rules like that, but I think that's just a really good starting point on this particular yeah. one. And yeah. it's not to say you can never say anything, but don't right. say anything right away. It's yeah. really important to unpack and untangle um, to use the the title of um, Dr. Tamar's book. Oh, there you go. It's like she has thought about it. Like, obviously, she knows what the implications are of wearing this and she's choosing to do it anyway. Well, it's even also that they don't even know. You know, what we see as very sexualized clothing is not necessarily how they're tracking it. Yeah. As adults and especially fathers, I mean, that's just a big one. That's, you know, tale as old as time. It's a... yeah the boys are going to see you and the people are going to see you and they're going to think one thing about you and this is going to be your right. reputation. And then maybe one day you are actually going to have sex and that's really terrifying. And I don't even want to think about any of this. It really spirals. Um, yeah, yeah. And the sexualization of young girls is a big problem. And one of the things I talk about in the book is not blaming her for that. You know, a mm. lot of what's going on is that you know, it's not necessarily that the girls are choosing all of this. It's, it's also a problem in, in what is being advertised to them and what is being offered to them and what the trends are. And yeah. we can see that as problematic and it is, but it's not the girl's faults. In addition, the risks that we perceive that parents perceive as being associated with suggestive dress are also not girls' faults. And so it's really delicate to handle these conversations because, you know, one, again, the girls aren't necessarily thinking that this is sexual dress. They just want to feel pretty. They just want to feel, they want to feel their best selves. They're looking at what the examples are in broader culture and their peer group yeah. about what is appropriate dress. This is what people wear. Like <laughs> this, yeah. this is what people wear and 
and tell a story in the book about how I used to get in trouble all the time because my skirt was too short and I was growing really fast all the time. And I was a pretty tall kid, but I was like, it just like looks ugly when it's shorter, when it's longer. Right. And I wasn't really thinking about anybody else. Like I was just thinking about me. I was like, I don't want to like it. I just don't like it when it's longer. Basically, I think that the reason I say take a beat and don't say anything is that there is a lot of, a lot of fear around girls dress and it's tied to the sexualization of young women and all of the things that could potentially flow from there and the truth is is that the way that girls dress again has to do with what are the community norms um what's going on in her community and her peer group for her age group for her you know general cultural context fathers will think a whole bunch of things those shorts are too short that dress is too revealing i don't like that color i just don't like that outfit whatever it is It's best to have a conversation with another adult in the room, make sure that you feel like you're on point. I suggest, you know, you can call a school counselor even and say, hey, what's going on with this? You know, sometimes, you know, this book is about, look, here's the baseline of questions you should be asking and information you should have. Yeah. And here is how you find more information to make what I am telling you the most relevant possible for your daughter's specific context and circumstances. Uh, And so dress is a big one of those and it is very personal and it is, it depends very much on context. And so you don't want to go off outright and just say, I don't like that, or that's too sexy, or people are going to think you look, you know, slutty for instance. And that has been said many times over the years too frequently. And, yeah. you know, people are going to have get the wrong idea about you, or you could be attacked or, you know, you just want to, again, think, okay, think to yourself. I'm not, I'm really not cool with this. I don't like the way this looks at all, but before I say anything, anything at all, you don't have to say it looks good. You just have to be like, oh, okay, you know, just do your best to keep a straight face go have a conversation with another female adult in the room, ask what her advice would be on this. I talked to a bunch of moms throughout the course of this project as well. And one of them told me she had grown kids by that time. She had two daughters in their late teens, early twenties. And she said, you know, he used to get so confused because they would change their clothes three times before they went to a game to, to watch a football game at their school. Why are they doing that? He would say, you know, that seems so pointless and they're wasting so much time and they're late. And what's up with that? And you know, she knew she was like, look, like there's, okay, both of them are going, there's like, their crushes are going to be there. They want to get it right. And this is what's happening for them. And it's really easy to mistake adolescent girls behavior. If you haven't been in it before and to kind of diminish it or, or minimize it, I guess is a better word. And so just go ahead. And if you have questions about what your daughter is wearing, don't say anything out of the gate, check in with the other women in your community see what they would say about it, ask questions about what are the norms, what are some sound bites you think might work with my daughter in terms of, you know, saying what I think about what she's wearing and what else can I do? And maybe also how can I calm down about this? Because the women in your life will feel a little bit better about that. I love that. And I think when we're have intense feelings like that about something, we need to talk about it and Mm -hmm. (laughs) we need to get it out there. But it's not necessarily productive to just immediately get it out there um, right to our daughter. <laughs> so, And female dress is such a nuanced topic and it is tied to identity and it is tied to body image and it is tied to body confidence and it is tied to body positivity. Yeah. And it all is all wrapped up in cultural trends, many of them problematic about how girls are positioned and looked at and marketed to in our society. And so 
for the men who are really concerned about this or for whom those moments come up and you want to fix it right away. And you certainly, you know, I definitely picked friends up from, you know, in high school, we were going to parties and they came out the door wearing one outfit. And then by the uh, time they yeah. got to the car, they had taken off their big hoodie and they're wearing right. a crop yeah, top yeah. or whatever the case may be. Just know that that's a normal thing. Dress is especially heightened because it actually is much more loaded of a topic than are you okay with the top that she's wearing or not? It's a much more broad and complex topic than it. And it stokes a lot more emotions than other topics do as well. Hey, we're here with Kimberly Wolf talking about strategies for fathers to deal with issues with their teenage daughters. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. There are terms that it was okay to use five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago that we didn't realize were loaded. We didn't realize that they weren't okay. Now, of course, with all of the happenings over the last few years, that's much more of a theme is let's be more careful about our language. Let's understand the history of the words that we speak. The teenagers know about it. The stuff moves at lightning speed and the teenagers know. They know if they're using the language, they're gonna know and it is okay to let them educate you. And knowing too that, you know, as parents, you will feel judgment. You will want to say things that you know you shouldn't say. It's okay. You know, that's fine. You need to be really careful about how you share it. Words are so powerful. Reactions are so powerful. Girls are little decoders. I mean, they're so sensitive to that. (laughs) You know, so we just really, we really do. It doesn't mean people have to be perfect. And you can say things from time to time that don't reflect your highest values or your best self with regard to how you're fathering your daughter. But yes, you definitely want to be mindful of how you're coming across. One of the most powerful things about love education, which I say is my favorite thing to teach, is that we weren't really, you know, our generations were not really taught to love. It was sort of, we were just shown by example, or we gathered from movies, and then we stumbled through our first relationships, and weren't really taught relational communication. I learned some, I remember as far back in high school, and, and I think there was some, we can be a bit more studied about it now, and that's a lot of what I do with kids, is teach them basically hardcore relational communication. You know, what are the best practices for communicating with people? What are the best practices for conflict resolution? And I actually think This is one of the places where dads can shine greatly. I would say, you know, reputations, the myth around girlhood um, and the reality. Yeah, I think this is where to be highly gendered about it is where oftentimes fathers are just like, what? Like, why? Why are you doing that? Why would your friends say that to you? Why would they do? What? Oh my goodness. I could tell so many stories. The truth is, is that drama is a big part, a natural part of adolescence. They're testing the boundaries. They are figuring out what is okay and what is not okay. Um, In early adolescence, especially very early adolescence, it's like, oh, I have this witty or, um, you know, biting comment to make back. I'm going to make it. I'm going to say something that's really, um, you know, not nice. That's a way they test letters like, oh, I don't know if that felt good. I think that maybe probably didn't feel good. And actually the outcome of that wasn't really awesome. And that's kids across the board, regardless of gender. Drama is a big way that girls are figuring out the kind of social guidelines. What's the, the right word I'm looking for? It's kind of social etiquette. They're experimenting with right and wrong there. And often it can come out in ways that are just really seem unkind. Bullying is obviously different. It's when there's a power differential, it's intentional and it happens over and over again. And 
when it comes to having daughters, it's really easy to jump to you're that, that woman's such a, that girl's such a bully. She, you're being bullied or to call the school counselor and say, my kid is being bullied. Yeah, and oftentimes right. it is just drama. There is a really important distinction there. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.